You are now listening to Music Legends with your host, Chili Will. What's up, everyone? Chili Willie here, a.k.a. Anthony Fantano's number one fan, and welcome back to Music Legends. We're back to the regular programming, back to Miles Davis. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Flying Fish Cove. I had a lot of fun, and uh, if you haven't listened to it, definitely go and check that out. Now, I know it's been a few weeks since we talked about Miles Davis, so just to refresh your memory a little bit, in the last episode... Miles and his band bombarded the free love movement with their far-out sonic experimentation during live shows. They made legendary albums like Bitches Brew and On the Corner, creating a whole new genre. Miles had momentarily even kicked his drug habit, only to become a workaholic. And inevitably, he worked himself to the ground playing tour after tour and show after show. And that was when Miles began using again. This time, prescription pain pills in addition to the usual magic concoction of coke and booze. So Miles went for a drive to clear his mind. But this time, it wasn't working. His thoughts got cluttered and mangled in a mess of fear and pain. And that is where we left off. So, if you're with me, let's jump back in that car with Miles and see where his mind's at. When Miles finally arrived at the coast, he jumped out of his car and he took a deep breath. He took it all in, that damp and fishy familiar smell of the ocean. It was around this time that he was taking more trips to the beach and less trips to the studio or the stage. As he sat there on the hood of his car, staring at the Atlantic, thoughts drifted in and out of his mind, like the waves materializing on the beach and then returning to the abyss of the ocean. And then he had a thought, a thought that stuck. What if I just retire from music altogether? His mind echoed the thought back and forth. He thought and he thought. He sat there for an hour, just mulling it over. Now the sun was setting, and Miles was getting hungry. That's when he knew it was time to take off. So he touched the handle to open the door, but he was hesitant. He knew a painful reality awaited him. So he took his hand off the handle and reached in his pocket. And out of his pocket, he grabbed that prescription bottle. That prescription bottle was becoming more of a necessity than water. Another thought echoed through his mind. This one, not so much a vision, just a word. Medicine. 
Miles wasn't too keen on any medicine the doctors gave him. But he finally agreed to it a month into his last tour, feeling like he'd been hit by a bus every day for the past two months straight. He opened the bottle, and he saw four lonely pills resting at the bottom. Without hesitation, he poured them all into his hand and took one big gulp. Miles got in and turned on the car. And as Miles drove, he braced himself for the constant cycles of anxiety. But there was a strange calm that washed over him, a certain tranquility he hadn't felt in a long time. He was still thinking about retirement. And the more he thought about it, the better he felt. He felt clarity. Just the very thought of retirement felt like a giant pillow to rest his aching body and mind. And it was at that moment he knew he could never touch a trumpet or get on a stage ever again. His brain had been a well-oiled machine for so long, churning out melodies at any given moment. It had become a constant background noise, a hum of a well-working machine, so to speak. Miles's brain was a unique kind of machine. But Miles never really knew what kind of oil to give his machine of a brain. Metaphorically speaking, there are so many different kinds of oils that can be used to slicken up the cogs of creativity. And Miles, well, he very well may have tried them all. And for so long, the melodies came in return. After all, Miles was a musician, not a mechanic. However, at that very moment, the machine was done. It turned off. So he sat there, took a glance at the city, whizzing past his head at 80 miles an hour, and embraced the silence of his mind. A few minutes passed in silence, and the silence turned to peace. And this peaceful state made his eyelids heavy. Driving can already sometimes turn into a meditative state, but Miles was having an existential awakening. He was wavering in and out of consciousness. Rest was screaming his name. I've never truly rested in my whole life, he thought. But each time he disrupted the silence with a thought, his head drooped a little further, and he came just a little closer to answering Rest's calls. Shh. Come on, rest. You need to rest. You must rest. Rest. You need to rest. Come on, rest. Right at the last second, he would snap out of it and bring his eyes back to the road. Although the cycle of anxiety had ended, a much more dangerous cycle had emerged. It's at this very moment that Miles began his fall, his tumble to the very bottom of everything, and he'll soon find out that. Even silence can't last forever. A rainy night had fallen on the city, and Miles had fallen asleep at the wheel. <laughs> Miles startled himself back awake for what seemed like the hundredth time. In a tizzy, he noticed his exit to get off the highway, but it was right in front of him moving closer and closer with every passing moment. He didn't think, 
He only reacted. He looked in his rear view, pulled the steering wheel hard, and sped through all three lanes to his right. Within a few seconds, the hood of his car was beginning to align with the exit lane. Miles wasn't sleepy anymore, but his mind was still quiet. At that very moment, time slowed down, and his senses awakened. The scrubbing of the windshield wipers. The metallic tapping of the rain on the roof of the car. He could feel it all. He took a deep breath. He was going to make it to his exit. But then, he felt something else. There was a screeching from beneath him. His tires lost traction of the soaking wet road, and the car slipped for several feet within just a few moments. Even silence can't last forever. He smashed his lime green car right into the WPA stone exit ramp. It was an unimaginable sight, and an unimaginable pain coursed through Miles' body. The pain was so powerful, but the dead silence that coursed through his mind was even more powerful. He was strangely at ease, but more probably just in shock. His lime green supercar crumpled up like tinfoil on the exit ramp. This was New York after all, and hardly anyone even noticed. Five minutes went by, and finally someone stopped. The Good Samaritan got out of the car and ran to the metallic corpse. He looked through the shattered window. Miles lay inside, with both legs popping out of his leather pants. Miles looked up at the man and said, Is my car fucked up? The car is gone, said the man. Now, the Good Samaritan was in shock too. Blood was everywhere, worse than a Tarantino flick. The man was shaking in his boots. He'd never seen so much blood in his life. He ran back to his car and tried to collect himself. He was closing his eyes, repeating the same word to himself over and over again, like we all do sometimes when we're panicked. Think, 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 said the Good Samaritan. And then he opened his eyes with an idea. He popped the trunk of his car and found an old shirt and ripped it up. And he ran back to Miles. Here, put this on the bleeding and uh, put pressure on it. The Good Samaritan continued around the car. There were two large plastic bags with white powder on the floor. One had broken open. The interior of the crushed supercar was dusted and white. So the Good Samaritan reached in and grabbed the bags. What the fuck are you doing? Miles tried to scream with all the whisper he could muster. But the Good Samaritan was already chucking them into the sewer by the time he even noticed. Who is this white motherfucker? Miles thought. The Good Samaritan came back, ripped up the other half of the cloth, and set it on top of the crumpled up mess, letting the rain wet it down, then peered through the passenger side window, hoping that this car was fancy enough to have a car phone installed. And sure enough, it did. So now, he was only hoping that it still worked.
911, what's your emergency? Okay, sir, uh, can you give me your address? Paramedics arrived just as the Good Samaritan was finished cleaning up Miles' powdery mess. Several police cars pulled up as well. The pain inside Miles had crept up to a boil, and now he was feeling the fear and the anxiety again too. When he saw the police, he shut down and became a vacant shell of a human. He just laid there as raindrops splashed across his face. Even though the rain was dying down, each tiny drop that splashed on his face was a relief. A cold splash that redirected his mind away from the pain, even if it was for a split second. The paramedics carefully lifted his broken body onto a stretcher, and Miles laid there and accepted all the fear and the pain and possibility of death. Meanwhile, behind the giant green junk pile, two officers stood in front of the Good Samaritan, one with a notepad taking notes then looking up every few seconds. If it weren't for the badge, he'd look like a stenographer straight out of the courtroom. The other cop had his hands on his hips and his thumbs comfortably hooked in his utility belt. He looked so natural, almost like that position was assumed entirely out of instinct. Sir, do you know that man over there? He asked taking his thumb hook away from the utility belt and pointing to Miles as the ambulance doors shut. Uh, no sir, I'm simply one of the guys he cut off. The cop with the hook thumbs chuckled, and the stenographer looking cop looked up for a second and made another note in his pad. Look officers, I, I don't want any trouble. I saw the crashed car and I pulled over. Alright, well, this city needs more men like you. Go on, get home now said the hook-thumb cop. The two cops, the Good Samaritan, and the ambulance all drove off, driving up the very same exit that Miles' $100,000 disaster was just inches away from. Miles was in the hospital for three months. His ankles were both broken, and his hip was in need of a replacement. Although his heart was still ticking, his motivation was dead. Miles was tired in every sense of the word. He didn't just need a good night of sleep. Honestly, there weren't enough hours in the day for the amount of sleep Miles needed. But he still slept, and thought, and then slept some more. And the further he got from the thing he loved the most, his music, the deeper he sank into another world. Months turned into years, and the name Miles Davis was beginning to disappear from the mouths of fans all around the world. The only mentions of his name were in the form of rumors about if he would ever play again. A shroud of darkness and mystery loomed over Miles. To the average listener, Miles had seemingly vanished off the face of the planet. His close friends and family were even beginning to wonder. But the reality was much worse. Thank you.
Monday, everyone, please grab a worksheet on your way out the door. Remember, if the worksheet is not completed, you will lose your recess privileges tomorrow. Little Aaron Davis took his time packing up and leaving class. He sure didn't want to stay at school, but he didn't exactly want to go home either. Aaron's shoulders slumped as he loaded his backpack, but he wasn't depressed. Although, in his short life, he was already just as tired as his father, Miles. He looked up at the empty classroom and his teacher approaching him with a worksheet. Here you are, Aaron. Have a wonderful night. She smiled and patted his head. This was why he loved being the last out of the class. He felt special, recognized. Aaron didn't have many friends. His mother was busy living her life, and his father, well, he hadn't seen him since he was five years old. Aaron was eight now. When the teacher smiled, patted his head, and said, Have a wonderful night, Aaron, he felt a certain warmth that he hardly ever felt anymore. He smiled back, but only on the inside. Took the worksheet and walked out the classroom. Aaron wandered down the halls aimlessly, his mind wandering too. He thought about how his bus is probably stopping at his house at that very moment, and how all the weird, nerdy kids he sat next to on the bus must be wondering where he is. As he walked, he peered into classrooms and saw teachers vacuuming or filing papers. It all seemed so boring. Why would anyone do this job, he thought. In fact, he had quite a lot of thoughts and a lot of questions. Do spiders sleep? What does the sun smell like? How old can a tree live? Those were just some of the thoughts he had as he continued his stroll through the long halls of the school. He'd got so lost in his thoughts that he'd completely lost track of time. The halls looked so weird to Aaron. He'd never seen them like this. They were abandoned and empty, like a room that had just been robbed. Suddenly, he had another, darker, more profound thought. Am I alone? And this thought triggered a feeling he knew all too well. His senses became heightened, and he closed his eyes tight in hopes that that feeling would go away. He stood in the middle of the desolate hallway, hoping. Then, just before the tears began to form, he heard something. His curiosity had taken over his mind and body, and the next thing he knew, he was walking towards the sound. It got closer and closer, and then, before he knew it, it seemed like the sound was right in front of him. The sound was distant, but just loud enough to trigger a sense of intrigue. He was in front of the gym. He opened the door and peeked his head through. Twenty kids stood on the risers, each playing different instruments, and a man standing in front of them all, making a bunch of weird motions with his arms. As uncomfortable as it may have been, Aaron stayed with his head peeked through the door just watching the band practice. He was, in a way, hypnotized by it. Sometimes, music has a way of doing that. And music wasn't even something Aaron had thought about in a very long time. There were a lot of things that Aaron didn't think about. Every day thoughts would enter his mind and leave them just as easily. And every day, he actively tried not to have certain thoughts too. But he inevitably did. And when he did, he would close his eyes and hope for another thought to take its place. He avoided thinking certain thoughts for many different reasons, but 
He avoided thinking about music because it reminded him of his father who he hadn't seen in a very long time and didn't know if he'd ever see again. The music pierced his brain, evoking all the wrong thoughts. But this time, he didn't avoid any of them. He stared right into the belly of the beast. When he surrendered himself and just took in the music, Aaron soon became hypnotized by its magic and beauty. But still, there was one simple thought that crept its way back into his mind. And this time, he embraced it. He thought, I miss my dad. Aaron stepped out of the second and final bus. The warmth from underneath the bus felt good against his back and legs as the cold November air hit the rest of his body. The cogs of his mind were turning, his legs were moving, and he remembered his dad's apartment by heart. And so he passed the neon lights of the liquor stores and peered with a shrinking stomach into the windows of various delis of the Upper West Side. But Aaron's hunger was soon distracted. Distracted by that funny jingle sound that the coins in his pocket made, bouncing against his leg with each step he took. He had about four dollars and some change left. His mom gave him a crisp ten dollar bill every morning before school, so he always crumpled them up and put them in his pocket for a rainy day. Although, when that rainy day finally came, his mother handed him another ten dollar bill, kissed him on the forehead, and said goodbye. So Aaron did what at some point had become somewhat of a reflex and put the bill in his pocket, but this time there was no room. So he started spending them, but wisely. By now he had it down to a science. Every day when the bell rang for lunch, he knew exactly what he'd be eating. An apple, beef jerky, and a slice of pizza. Well, the pizza was only on Wednesdays. He had to make sure he had enough money left to go to the arcade after school. Sometimes. He even had money left after the arcade, and if he did, he dropped it right into a ceramic piggy bank shaped like the little robot R2-D2 from Star Wars. Aaron loved the movie ever since it came out a year prior. He thought about the movie all the time, <laughs> maybe a little too much. It was a good distraction from all the other thoughts he tried so hard to avoid. And just like those coins jingling in his pocket distracting him, but now they were distracting him from something else entirely different than hunger. Aaron felt the butterflies swell up in his belly. He didn't want to think about where he was walking. Nevertheless, those coins in his pocket kept jingling. His legs kept moving. And so he focused all he could on that sound. And then suddenly, his mind snapped back to the scary reality he was in. And all he could think about was what he would say to his father when he finally arrived at his door. All right, everyone, that's going to wrap up today's episode. 
Thanks so much for listening. Music Legends is written and produced by me, Willie Miller. Now, I don't think I'm spoiling anything when I say that next episode, we're going to see Miles at his absolute rock bottom. This period in his life was actually called his dark age, and I think it's a fascinating turning point in his life. It was kind of this combination of a midlife crisis, uh, the drugs he was on all kind of getting to him psychologically, the constant touring and working that he'd been putting his body through, uh, and yeah, it, it had all been building to this for quite a while. So through lots of research, I made sure to stuff as many details as I possibly could in the next episode. So some of that research actually came from a movie I watched called Miles Ahead with Don Cheadle. It's not a documentary, so you've got to take some things with a grain of salt. But if you want a preview of what you'll be getting during the next few episodes, I would definitely recommend that movie. Now, a couple other things I wanted to talk about before I get into the show notes is Miles' son, Aaron. Now, I haven't really talked about much of Miles' kids or family or families until this point, and that's simply because he wasn't really a part of their lives. To me, as I was spending time researching Miles throughout his life, it seemed like he would enter into a relationship prematurely, become inspired by those initial emotions, then become violent, at which point usually that particular partner would leave him or file for divorce, thankfully which I definitely wanted to illustrate in this series, but Miles did have four kids. Three with Irene, who you may remember from the first couple episodes as his high school sweetheart. Then he had Aaron, with his ex-wife Frances, who you may remember from just a couple episodes ago. Now, we'll definitely be seeing more of Aaron during the next few episodes. Okay, show notes. So, I'm not going to put a link for Miles Ahead, the movie that I mentioned, you guys can find that pretty easy if you wanted to. Just look up Miles Ahead Amazon, it'll come right up. But I am going to put an article talking about the movie, as well as Miles' psychedelic electric period leading up to this point. Um, yeah, it's just an awesome article. Um, definitely highly recommend it if you want to dig a little deeper. I'm also going to go ahead and include an article regarding Miles' car crash on the freeway. What an absolutely wild story, right? But it's true. This article talks about the good Samaritan who helped, as well as the bags of cocaine that spilled all over the car, and uh, yeah, lots more. Definitely check out this article as well. I, uh, I definitely got a lot of information that I said in this episode from that article. Um, so yeah, that'll be a good one if you want to dive deeper. And that's all I got for the show notes today. Thanks again for everyone who's listening, especially those of you who are still listening at this very moment, because you stayed to the very end. And uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. You could have just zoomed through all of this like an ad, but I don't have any ads. And that's because I love you. Yes, all of you. And all I ask in return is to share music legends with one music lover or Miles Davis fan in your life. That's all I ask. Okay, okay. That and to leave a good review wherever you're listening to this. As always, you can catch me on Instagram at chillywillysounds or email me at musiclegendspodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. All right, everybody. We'll see you in two weeks. Peace. <laughs>